All right, here we are. We are live now. So, uh, Happy New Year, everybody. It's uh, 2020. 2020. And I, I can't believe it's that year already. 2020. All right. I just uh, remember dreaming of the year 2020 when I was a kid, and I can't believe it's here. Time sure does fly. Welcome to the Pristine Grace Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Kraft, and today is Thursday, January 2nd, 2020. The time is 6.30 p.m., and I am broadcasting live to the internet from St. Louis, Missouri. And, uh, you know, I remember being a kid in the 1970s. I remember my grandfather who passed away in 1982. My great-grandmother who passed away at the age of 99 in, in the mid-80s. And all the loved ones and friends who are no longer with me. I, I remember meeting my wife in 1993 and then saying I do six years later in 1999. And I remember being converted from free willism to the truth of free grace in Christ in the year 2001. And of course, I'll never forget the birth of my son Cole in 2004. And seeing him grow up into a young man has been breathtaking and bittersweet to me. But what's especially good to see, though, is to see this young son of mine believe and love the truth to see him contend for the truth against the opposition, against the lie of universal atonement and free willism. Because this has really been my earnest desire for him, for him to know Christ and to rest in him for all righteousness in the sight of God. And as a parent, it's nice to see your kids grow up to become independent and self-sufficient. You know, I don't want to be uh, having to take care of all his needs forever, all of his financial needs I'd like to get to the point where he can actually take care of me. But, uh, you know, if your kids aren't believers, if they don't love the gospel, it, it sometimes seems pointless. But I know that's not true because there's a point for everything that God has done and God has predetermined. But, you know, I some you know, who cares if someone lives a prosperous life, though, and dies without knowing and loving Christ? I know God God cares about everything. But, you know, what if, so what if your son grows up to be a famous sports star or a successful entrepreneur or a doctor or even a dentist, you know? It means nothing, nothing to me as a parent in comparison to the knowledge that I will be with my son or daughter forever in paradise. So, and I know you can't will somebody into the kingdom. You can't force your kids to believe the truth. Uh, your kids are either born in the kingdom or they're not. Uh, but for them to believe the truth, it's a work of grace, a work of sovereign grace. But uh, nevertheless, as, as parents, our job, it's our job to train up a child in the truth and pointing to the Lord in all things. Proverbs 22.6 says that we as parents are to train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart, he will not depart from it. And uh, I guess I'm kind of preaching to myself here. But uh, I, I rejoice. I rejoice to have a son and a spouse, my, my dear wife, that share the same joy and the same precious faith 
as me. It's 2020 and I have everything I ever wanted. Alright, so we got back from Ashland, Kentucky on Monday and had a great time together with the Saints in Eastern Kentucky. It sure was nice to see them again and I'm looking forward to getting back there at the end of the month. I'm also looking forward to being with the Saints in Southern Missouri again this weekend as well. Also, I was talking to James Mwali on uh, Messenger and also Morrison Saidi in Malawi. And uh, I'm going to be starting a fundraiser here for some of those African brethren down there in Malawi and Zambia. All right, there's a need for more books to be purchased and Bibles to be purchased. And I'm going to try to raise about $700, I think, for James Mwali to perform the work in Lulongwe. Malawi. That's the, the capital there. And I'm going to announce that fundraiser soon. But if you're interested in helping, just let me know. And uh, I'm also really looking forward to podcasting this year in 2020. I just don't know what my topics are going to be. I don't know what my topic is from week to week usually. And uh, maybe if I run out of topics, I can switch to expository messages. Not sure. But uh, I'll try to stay topical for as long as I can can for as long as I can go and uh, let's see I just have I think one more message here in this series on hyper Calvinism maybe more I have to think about it and uh, I'm just about ready to speak on that here and we've already covered three topics in this hyper Calvinism series true evangelism the doctrine of duty faith and the doctrine of the free or will meant offer all right and today we're going to cover the topic of common grace. So uh, Nick Lovin sent me a little text earlier this week and said he was really looking forward to it. So Nick, if you're listening, uh, I'm thinking of you when I'm giving this message. All right. <laughs> so so today's comment, today's message is is titled "Is Grace Common?" All right. And I start this message off with a question because it it gets people thinking. Right off the bat, is grace common? What is grace? Does God love everyone? These, those are the free will persuasion will most undoubtedly answer the question in the affirmative that yes, grace is common to all men, that God loves everyone, so much so that he sent his only begotten son to live and die for everybody who will ever live, and they quote John 3.16 ad nauseum, thinking it makes the case for them. But their argument is strictly emotional and not grounded in the reality of Scripture. So I'm not going to argue against them in this message, and I'm not going to argue against the doctrine of universal atonement. Okay, the Scriptures clearly lay out the truth of the matter, and I might save this for another message, that Christ came into this world to save his people from their sins. The free willer believes that Christ came in this world to save everybody from hell. Okay, notice the difference there. And that the only reason people go to heaven is because they exercise a work of faith to accept an offer. All right, and this is so far removed from the actual truth, it's like it's another gospel, another religion altogether. And indeed, it is. It's foreign to Scripture. But those who have not been given eyes to see will continue to cling to it, to embrace it in spite of all evidence to the contrary that they are shown. 
most won't listen to any argument, but I'm not going to focus on free willers in this message. I'll say that for another time. Today, I'm actually going to argue against what most who call themselves Calvinists would believe, what most who call themselves Sovereign Grace believers. So, again, what is grace? The, uh, Greek, the Hebrew word for grace is Cain, and the uh, Greek word for grace is charis, or kari, and a gift of grace is charisma, all right, in Greek. And in the scriptures, grace is always particular. It is always discriminatory. It is unmerited favor toward a certain group of individuals. It is never aimed at everyone in the whole world, or everyone universally. In fact, the word grace could be retranslated as favor. May the grace of God be with you could be said as may the favor of God be with you. And with this favor, God's love is implied. God loves that which he favors. All right? But if you're a supposed sovereign grace believer that preaches duty, faith, and free or well-meant offers of salvation, well, then the doctrine of common grace, or the idea that God favors everybody, must be another component of your theology. Your, your theology is one of salesmanship, one that revolves around adding numbers to your group. And the surest way to turn anyone off of what you believe is to say that Christ died only for his people, that he doesn't love or favor anyone, and that salvation is only for Christ's special people. All right? It's a message of exclusion instead of one that is inclusive of everybody. Okay? Inclusion sells. Exclusion, and not so much. <laughs> so, <laughs> the lie continues. <laughs> The backstory is different, and as we said on this on the last messages, the backstory is different, but the conversion theology is the same. Okay, the sales pitch is the same. In order to sell their duty, faith, and the offer message by so-called sovereign grace preachers, they add the doctrine of common grace. All right, it's tweaked a bit from the doctrine of universal atonement. The uh, the free offer or duty, faith, sovereign grace preacher will say that yes. Christ did indeed die only for the elect, all right? So they're going to give lip service to limited atonement. However, they would say that there's still a sense in which God loves everyone. And it is this, quote, love that allows God to offer salvation to everyone, okay? It is this love that allows everyone to live, to enjoy fresh air, health, and prosperity. It is this common grace that gives everyone good things, okay? And it's this so-called common grace that sends rain and sunshine on all men, regardless if they be elect or non-elect. But you got to ask yourself this question. Is rain and sunshine really an expression of God's love for everybody? You know, I don't deny that these are things are good gifts and expressions of God's love for his people who are in Christ, 
for those whom Christ came and gave his very life for. But what about those who aren't his? What about those who will not be in heaven with us? Okay. Are these things really an expression of God's love for them? Does God love them by putting them in the presence of gospel preaching? Is it, especially if they never believe, is it really grace to put them within an earshot of the good news of eternal salvation for Christ's people? Is this really an expression of love for those who will never believe? Ask yourself these questions. And when you do, please turn to Psalm 92 with me. All right? I'm going to turn to uh, Psalm 92 here. Now, I've got it written down here, but you can go there in your Bibles. And I just want to read it out to you. I'm going to start in verse 5. O Lord, how great are thy works, and, and thy thoughts are very deep. A brutish man knoweth not. Neither doth a fool understand this. When the wicked spring as the grass, and when all the workers of iniquity do flourish, it is that they shall be destroyed forever. But thou, Lord, are most high forevermore. Look around, folks. All these people who are enjoying the prosperity, all this common grace, it's only for a little while. And then they perish. Those who are living their good life now, enjoying their fine suburban home with a two-car garage, a nice 401k, yet know not Christ, many, or dare I say most, will soon perish. And they will be destroyed forever. They flourish now only to perish. When the wicked spring is grass, and when all the workers of iniquity do flourish, it is that they shall be destroyed forever. These, these folks that will never believe, they live now only to be destroyed. Alright? But hey, if you want to call that love or grace in order to sell your snake oil, go right ahead. I can't do that. I simply can't. Alright? But here's what I do know. John 15, 13, John 15, verse 13, says that greater love hath no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. All right? And that's the message of grace. What a wonderful message of grace there is in the scriptures for his people. All right? 1 Peter 1, 2 says that we who believe are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. All right? And there it is, folks. It's particular. It's for God's friends. It's not for his enemies. In fact, God actually hates those who aren't his. Turn with me in Romans 9, starting in verse 11. Romans 9, starting in verse 11. I'm going to read a few verses here. For the children being not yet born, neither have done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. 
What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. And in Joshua 11.20, it says, For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts, that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might destroy them utterly, and that they might have no favor, but that he might destroy them, as the Lord commanded Moses. Alright, that was Joshua 11.20. God actively hardened the hearts of the Gentiles. And he had no favor, or grace as you could say it, towards them. Why? It's not because the Gentiles were any more wicked than the Jews. It was so God would keep his covenant with Israel. God had no desire whatsoever to give the Gentiles any favor. And he wanted to destroy them forever. So he hardened them. But free offer preachers, they just want to sugarcoat it all. The truth doesn't sell very well. No, we'll sell common grace, they say. We'll just say that God loved these Gentiles that he hardened, and that he didn't actively harden them. He just withdrew his grace from them over time. Well, I will tell you that that doesn't sound like grace to me. Romans 9.22 doesn't sound like common grace to me. Romans 9.22 says, what if God, willing to show his wrath and make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted, fitted to destruction? <laughs> Jude 1.4 says that there were certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the, the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. They were before of old ordained to this condemnation. All right? Common grace? Really? Proverbs 16.4 says, The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked, for the day of evil. Okay? These people that he made, these wicked people, did he love them even in a general sense? <laughs> the, the proposal's just stupid to me. You, you can't show me a single scripture that proves that grace is common, okay? And I went looking for it. So, in to be fair to those who, who believe in and preach the doctrine of common grace, I actually went out on the internet and ducked that goad, common grace, okay? And I, I searched it so that I could once again see what the opposing viewpoint believes and what passages they use to support their beliefs. And here's... Here's just a few of the ones that I found. All right. And they quoted Psalm 145.9. The Lord is good to all, and he has compassion on all he has made. And Matthew 5.45, and this is the most probably the most famous verse to support common grace. Jesus said God causes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. All right. And then in Luke 6.35, it says that God is kind to the unthankful and the wicked. Okay. And you could certainly make a case that God is referring only to his people in these passages, but I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go ahead and concede that, yes, that God is temporarily good to those who aren't his people. But do we really want to call this grace or favor? 
do we really want to call this love? You know, I, I, if you're selling salvation through offer preaching, I suppose that you do. But not me. I, I can't. All that rain and all that sunshine God sends down on this world is not an expression of his love for, for them. Okay? It's an increase of his wrath against those who are fitted for destruction. And each day that a reprobate person experiences this goodness, this rain and sunshine, if you will, or that Jeep in the driveway, that Cadillac in the driveway, that fancy iPhone or that steak dinner he just ate, that's not a result of love. This goodness is actually bad. All right, God's wrath is abiding on these individuals. And his wrath against them is increasing. They continue to enjoy this goodness, but they spit in his face. Okay? They hate the message of free and sovereign grace. They want to be on the thrones of their own lives. Okay? They want to be in control of everything. Not God. They love their supposed free will. All right? And most of all, they don't want a salvation that is completely dependent upon an absolutely sovereign God. All right? And one day, they will pass from this world. And they're going to face the absolute terror of an angry God. And they still won't want anything to do with Christ and his gospel. All right? But they will want things to be the way they used to be. Okay? They're going to yearn for the good old days when they lived their lives according to the desires of their flesh. They're going to yearn for the good old days when rain and sunshine came down upon them. They're going to yearn to relive their best life now, just once more. But go ahead and call that love if you want. Go ahead and call that grace that helps you in your so-called soul winning. You know, me? <laughs> I, I'm not going to have any part of that. Because that's not grace. That's wrath. All right? Because it's not grace, I think that's what bothers me. I wouldn't mind if this doctrine was called common bounty, all right, or common goodness. You know, I, I believe I believe in common bounty. You know, God does cause the wicked to prosper. I don't deny that, all right? But this prosperity is not an expression of his love. You know, and I, I think maybe... I guess that's why prosperity preachers are, you know, so successful. I guess they, they, they say that prosperity is an expression of love. But even your sovereign grace preachers are teaching the same thing. You know, but we know that God's love, his grace, his favor for the elect is special because it accomplishes salvation. And so it's effectual. All right. That grace if, it, if it's not effectual, what's the point? All right? I think you all know what it is. So they can sell. They can sell an offer. They can sell duty. They can sell, they can sell acceptance and, and church membership. In, all right? In, in Ephesians 5, verse 25, Paul, the Apostle Paul exhorts us as husbands to love our wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's the type of love God has for us, okay? That is the type of love Christ has for his church. The same kind of love that a husband has for his bride, all right? But common grace combined with the well-meant offer teaches that Christ loves all people, 
and even desires the salvation of those who hear the so-called offer. But let me ask yourself this question. Does, it, does a husband say to his wife, I love you, babe. I love you so much. But I also love that woman over there, too. That uh, Alicia or, or Allie. All right. <laughs> I even desire to marry her and take her to bed with me. You know. Huh. But please remember that my love for you is special. Well, I can tell you, and I'm sure... All of you men who are married can agree with me that if you told your wife something like that, there would be serious trouble for us, okay? There would be serious trouble for me, and uh, there would be serious trouble for you, too. And and why? Okay? The it's because it's, the answer is obvious. Because it devalues the love that I have for my wife. It makes our marriage bond less meaningful. It cheapens it. It's infidelity. And in reality, it destroys marriages. That is what the doctrine of common grace does to the doctrine of special and effectual grace that is taught throughout Scripture. It cheapens it. It profanes it. It destroys it. But offer preachers needed to increase their numbers. But shame on them. Shame on them. God's people don't need to be told that God loves them in a general sense. And that God earnestly desires to save them if they will let him. Okay? God's people don't need that. God's people need to have their eyes opened. And they need to see the depravity of their souls. Their total inability to please God in and of themselves. They need to see the hopeless state they are in. And they need to know that they can't do anything to merit salvation. They can't run for it. They can't will it. They can't conjure it. There is nothing, nothing they can do. Alright? God's people need to hear that Christ already did it all. That he accomplished salvation on behalf of his people. On behalf of his bride, the church. And that rest for a weary heart can be found only in Christ. And in, in his righteousness alone. But this message isn't popular. It doesn't appeal to the sensibilities of the average Joe out there. It's much more exciting to go to the church on the corner that's having a trivia night or a rock concert. Okay? This message, uh, this true gospel message isn't popular with a largely unconverted church world. Because it, it doesn't bring in lots of money. And it's not going to inflate the egos of religious shysters because it takes all conversion out of the hands of men because salvation resides solely with God. The, the doctrine of common grace is... I have a history with it and uh, I didn't understand it when I first heard it. As a standalone doctrine, it doesn't seem all that harmful at first. It's deceptive though because it's really part and parcel with offer and duty faith preaching. So that's why I've kind of waited to discuss this last, this doctrine last. I want to discuss it after I discuss duty faith and the free offer doctrine. So if you haven't listened to those messages, I would ask you to go back and listen to them. All right. And uh, I was first exposed to this doctrine when sitting in my old church 
one day, a long, long time ago, when my pastor said in a Sunday school sermon session that God loves everybody. And uh, I, you know, I'd been sitting in this church for a little while, and I thought they were a good sovereign grace church, and I was kind of surprised to hear him say that. So I, I raised my hand and said, uh, yeah, I thought God died only for his sheep. That, you know, and that the Ellen Tulip was for limited atonement, therefore he doesn't really love everybody. Okay, I was a new believer at the time. And this, this man, this pastor of mine, proceeded to tell me that this was true, that God loves everyone in some sense. Just a second. Hey guys, can you keep it down in here, please? Thanks. Sorry about that. There was uh, noise outside my door. My son, uh, we're going to have to have a little talk about that. <laughs> anyway, uh, so where was I? Oh, yeah, so he was saying, yeah, I believe in limited atonement. Yeah. I believe in the, the Ellen Tulip, uh, but he does love everybody in some sense. And uh, and then I learned what this man meant by the free offer. Okay, I thought when he was before when he was talking about the free offer, it meant that God presents the gospel freely to weary sinners. But that's not what he meant by the word offer. Okay, he meant something else entirely different. And... I found out that he viewed salvation as something entirely different than what I thought it was. Okay, he really was just a free willer masquerading as a sovereign grace preacher. His theology was pretty much the same as a free willer. He saw salvation and conversion and acceptance of the so-called proposal or offer. And then I learned that the majority of so-called sovereign grace preachers were represented by him. Okay, he, he represented the majority of them. That the vast majority of Reformed Baptists and Presbyterians believe in the free offer, duty, faith, and common grace. Even some of the best producers of sovereign grace literature, like the Protestant Reformed Church, they even teach duty, faith. Okay, I think even Arthur Pink taught duty, faith. Okay, even though he was good on the offering, common grace, I think. But, uh... So, you know, thankfully, uh, these guys, they do reject offer preaching and common grace. But nevertheless, you know, even some of the better folks out there are still pushing some of this error out there. And there's, there's so much darkness in our land, so much darkness in, our, in this world, in the pulpits across this world. You sometimes have to drive long distances to see and hear gospel preaching in person. But the people of God, once once they hear it, they they will continue to seek it out. They know what they know what they want. The gospel in reality is just food for the sheep. Okay, it's special food for them. It's the food they need to eat. The good news they need to hear. They don't need to hear duty or what they need to do to get something. They just need to be fed. They need good food. Okay, they need good news to eat. They need gospel food. Goats, though, goats, however, they're going to eat any old slop you give them. 
You know, they'll engorge themselves on duty, obligation, and acceptance of offers and, the, and common grace. Common food to soothe their soul, so they think. In reality, though, it's just goats being fattened on self-righteousness. They're just goats being fattened for the slaughter. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but uh, we have something special. We, we have the gospel as it's presented. We have, we have the truth of Christ. We have free and sovereign grace. It's freely given, and it's special. And uh, if, you're, if you're a believer... If you, if you believe with me, rejoice. Rejoice that you're one of God's people. You were made to be who you are. You were made to be redeemed in Christ. You were made to be glorified with God. You're, the grace that you have, it's not common. It's very special. And I want you to think about that today. Think about how special you are in the sight of God, that he sent his only son to die for you. And... Uh, there is nothing inherently in us that makes us special. We're special because God says we are. Because he made us in Christ and predestined us unto salvation. And we were in Christ from before the foundation of the world. Just like the, you know, the, the angels in heaven, they, they're special too, but it's different. They, they, don't, they don't have what we have. You know, angels have never sinned. They don't, the ones... You know, we could get into the whole, uh, you know, Paradise Lost, Milton's Paradise Lost, and the idea that angels fell from heaven and Satan took a third of the heaven with him. But I'm not going to get into that. The angels that they, you know, that are in heaven now, they uh, they never sinned, and they uh, they've never they've never experienced redemption. We have. We have, and you know that's uh, an amazing thought. And uh, our, the grace that we do have—it's very special. It's very particular, and it's it's wonderful to be in Christ. And I rejoice tonight. So, anyway, that's that's my message for this week. That's about all I have to say tonight on the doctrine of common grace. I I hope this message has been beneficial to you. I hope that you've learned something and that you enjoyed listening. I uh, I hope you'll turn in you'll tune in next week and uh, as I do plan to live stream again on on next Thursday. So uh, thanks for listening. I hope you all have a great day, a great year in fact, and uh, happy New Year. All right, again, happy New Year. May the Lord bring grace to your ears, to your heart this year. May you be blessed and be at peace. And if you're one of his, I hope that your assurance grows and that you can truly rest in his righteousness. All right. So that's all I got. Good night.